Mentor My Mix is made possible by PureMind Music and Audio Production Institute. Evolve your sound with expert trainers and up-to-date courses designed to fit the needs of emerging artists and producers. Go to PureMind.com for details about the San Francisco campus and online programs. And today I have as my guest, Sean Mercado, AKA Shadows, artist, producer, DJ, engineer, sound designer. He does it all and very talented at that. Really happy to have you here today, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. It's good to see you again. Yeah, man. It's good to see you. Uh, I know you're down in LA now, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Right in the middle of Hollywood. Right in the middle of Hollywood. (laughs) But it all started up here in the Bay for you, didn't it? Yeah, Bay Area is uh, where I was born and raised, and went to Pyramid. That's that's where my roots are. So uh, it's it's been a move getting down here, but um, but yeah, that's that's my roots. My yeah, roots well, it's cool. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about your roots up here in the Bay first, um, and kind of talk about the growth of your um, artist and production career here in the Bay, um, and how that transitioned for you uh, to get you down to the heart of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's it's been a long journey so far, and it'll it'll keep going for a long time, hopefully. Well, you know um, what they say: every overnight uh, success was crafted by twenty years of uh, hard work. Yeah, right. I believe that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I believe that more and more as time goes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, it's hard to not believe it these days, uh, and especially given what's happened in this last year. Obviously, yeah. that that's thrown you a little curveball. But we'll get to oh, that. For sure. We'll get to that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so where did it start for you in the Bay Area here? Yeah, so I, I got into all this um, really just by DJing and kind of uh, finding out about house music and learning more about it and just kind of digging deeper. And that's that's really where kind of my roots with all of this started was getting into house music. Um, I had a couple buddies uh, getting into it and we were just sharing music and then I pieced together a DJ setup and that was that was probably uh, about like 12 years ago now. So getting into DJing uh, soon, kind of figuring out that I w- wanted a little bit more control and I wanted to be able to write my own stuff and make my own beats. And so I got into production. Um, I was in Logic for a while. I was actually in Logic uh, when I started going to PureMind. And then what, uh, what year after, did you what year did you come to Pyramid at? Because I know so I, it's, it's been a little I while. I think now. I started in 2011 and graduated in 2012. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's been a while now, but um, yeah, it's just funny the progression because I was I was all about Logic and went to Pyramid and learned more about Logic and then started learning about Reason and Pro Tools and Ableton and all these other uh, softwares and eventually made the move over to Ableton. Um, so it's, it's been about 12 years of DJing, 10 years of production, uh, not counting like random little beats I'd make in Fruity Loops or something like that. And when I was, when I was a teen, but, um, so yeah, it's been, been a bit of a, a journey, a couple different projects here and there, just kind of going through the motions and trial and error and testing out different styles and sounds and projects. And, uh, eventually 
all of that kind of led to me going to Pyramind and getting into the SF uh, San Francisco scene uh, and just playing shows, becoming a resident DJ. And where uh, where were your original residencies in San Francisco? How did you how did you connect to those? Yeah, so um, I started really getting my foot uh, into that scene by this this Wednesday night weekly party called uh, EPR. And it was, uh, I actually didn't really know anyone. I was, I was barely even able to go to these clubs. I think I just, I started going as soon as I turned 18 and, and just figuring out, uh, what, which parties and sounds and, you know, what was going on, uh, and what I liked. And so I had a, a friend of a friend that knew someone that worked at this, this party EPR. So I got introduced and they said, yeah, Sean's a DJ. And I, I, I made sure, um, you know, when I started at working at EPR and I, I eventually worked at Ruby Sky and a couple other clubs, uh, always was just, you know, try to be present and was like, what can I help out with? How can I get involved with this? Which is essentially what I ended up kind of doing at Mind too, with interning and becoming a teacher and all of that. So, so yeah, it started with that party EPR. From there, I met someone who was throwing a Thursday night party at Ruby Sky in San Francisco as well. So I started helping them with promotion and everything was just kind of this this process of leveling up, just getting in there and kind of doing promotion. And I would, I would literally go pick up boxes of flyers and hand them out till three, four in the morning after the shows and uh, just do whatever I could to get my foot in the door. And that would turn into me then managing different promoters and then me um, helping out with, you know, setting up the show and, and DJing when they needed help and turning into a resident DJ. So, so yeah, there was a couple different venues, but I think those were kind of the two main ones uh definitely ruby sky would would kind of take over eventually but that was my home base for a while epr was and what about that how did you yeah, transition EPR to ruby sky. sky because i mean that was a, a big deal here in san francisco while it was here obviously it's become something else now but while yep. ruby sky existed in the right right in the heart of downtown right off of union square yeah it was on uh it was on mason right near union square and yeah that that was a big step and it's it's just funny because the the Wednesday night party EPR that it was madness. It was eighteen and up. It would we got to a point one summer where we we were selling out every week, every Wednesday night, and uh, it was it ended up and that uh, was a high capacity venue too, from what it, I remember. Yeah, it right? ended up being at City Nights. It it moved a couple times, uh, and I was I was with them through some of those moves. Oh, but okay, okay, it right. ended at City Nights and. We, Capacity was like 1,300, 1,400, and we'd sell out every Wednesday night, which is just unheard of to do on a Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, going from that what, what would you, crazy, What would you attribute that to? I mean, why do you think those sold out and did so well? I think it that's just kind of when, um, when that style of music, just electronic music and electro house and dubstep and all of that was really starting to, to pick up uh speed and mm -hmm. you know momentum and just grab people's uh interest and it was just this crazy energetic um you know we were we were booking great lineups it was a consistent thing happening every wednesday and it just i think it was just like a really fun new exciting thing that not a lot of people got to experience um, yeah and you before. you went from you know helping out though to being consistently on the lineup for those wednesday nights too right yeah, I would just always try to get my foot in the door somehow. Just, you know, oh, I'll, I'll help promote. And if you guys need help with sound tech or setting up gear, or, um, you know, whatever it is, I, it, I, I think that's, 
it's good to kind of figure out, you know, what you want to do and then and then see where you can fit in and be helpful. It's it's hard to go into places and just ask immediately and say, hey, I'm a DJ. Can I play this or, you know, be be demanding? There's a lot of people that are going to do that. And there's a lot of people that, you know, they they can pick a lot of people that would love to come up and take those positions. But it's I think it helps if you show that, you know, you're you want to be helpful and just get involved first. So, um so yeah, it was always kind of that build and and yeah. I, I, I mean, I gotta DPR say too. Party. I mean, I think it helps because you have a great demeanor about you. You know, you're you're, you. you're not a hothead. You're not um, you know egotistical. You're talented, and yet you don't have a ton of ego involved around that. And it makes it really a pleasure um, to work with you. And I think you know that came across at Pyramind as well. People noticed that, and um, I think that that makes a big difference for anybody listening. You know, to really you know throw down, be helpful. And know that when the time is right, the time will be right for you. You know, I think you yeah. had a really good it, sense it of time. It takes a while. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> so patience. It's good not right? to rush it's things big, and big learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so you went from EPR to Ruby Sky. How did that transition happen? Yeah. So, um, you know, Dustin and Dylan, uh, I started getting close to them. Oh, actually yeah. Through... Dustin and Dylan. Well, yeah, because yep. we had we had uh, Dustin K-Theory, social kid now. Yep. Uh, he, he was on the podcast not too long ago. Yeah. Yep. And going to be mentoring as well, right? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. He recently just hit me. Just as we were onboarding him, he was like, yo, I'm relaunching K-Theory. I don't think I'm going to have any time. Uh, and yeah. so he he did a little bit of stuff with us. We did a podcast interview with him, but I think nice. he's gone back into the cave now. Something, yeah. Something's going, something's brewing over there. He wouldn't tell me <laughs> exactly good. what, but I think it has a lot to do with K-Theory. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I met them at EPR and I got uh, really close to Dustin and Dylan, and Dustin was a big, a big help in my uh, starting my production game and and mentoring me and helping me. He he's just he's like a mad sci- mad scientist with this stuff. I remember I I used to just sit down at his desk with him and just be amazed at what he could do. And that that was like gas in the fire for me. It just I I was like hungry to get to that point. So uh, he helped me a lot. I met both them through EPR, and then Dylan on the side was helping out with Ruby Sky. So through that, Dylan uh, helped me out and got me a position promoting at Ruby Sky. And then I kind of did the same same steps there, um, just being a street promoter and passing out flyers and spreading the word and using social media to kind of help push the shows. And then um, that turned into like managing other promoters and putting together street teams uh, to help push these events and booking some lineups and getting on some lineups and then becoming a resident. It's just, it was just kind of that same process. Um, you talk talk about Dustin, uh, being the mad scientist. I mean, I know he produces in reason. And so how did that influence you? Uh, just, I just, he was doing things that I didn't even know were possible. Cause this, when I first really got to know, uh, Dustin and sit down with him, um, this was before I even went to Piermont. He's actually, he's, uh, pure mind alum as well. He went there far before I even did. And mm-hmm. when we were meant uh, going through some stuff and he was mentoring me, uh, that was also another thing he was saying was like, yeah, I went to pure mind. It's a great place. You should check it out. And that's, that's what led me to go there. Um, oh, I didn't even realize that. Did he yeah. bring you, did he bring you into the studios at all? Cause I know he, he and his partner were in the studios quite a bit back in those days. Yeah. I think maybe I stopped by once or twice. Uh-huh. Um, and then I came in and took the tour, but yeah, he was, he helped me a lot, uh, just by, even before I came to Pure Mind, just sitting me down and taking me through the process and letting me just watch while he worked. And 
the sound design, of course, is like crazy in reason and um, just the way he would he would build things from nothing. Um, that was that was huge for me. And even though I was I was working in Logic at the time, and uh, obviously they're they're quite a bit different, it was still uh, helpful and super inspiring to see that. And then then I went to Pyramid after that. Right, right, right. Yeah. And through your time at Pyramid, I know you um, had other collaboration opportunities too, because I remember you developing relationships with uh, like our former uh, studio manager, Mike Forst, right? You guys did some stuff together. Talk about that. Yeah. So uh, I, of course, met a bunch of people um, while I was a student there, but me and Mike started to meet kind of towards the end uh, when I was finishing my course. And when I decided to uh, stick around and help out and be- become an intern uh, in the studios and help out with just working on the studios and, and scheduling and all that stuff. Um, and since Mike was working there, I eventually over time, I got to know him um, a little bit better. And we would just, we'd share music and um, just kind of nerd out on stuff and eventually um, talked about starting a song together. And then I think that turned into two. And then we we're like, oh, we should maybe build this out a little bit more serious and, and, and start a project. Um, so yeah, we, we did a project called Benza. It was B-N-Z-A. Uh, it lasted for maybe two years, three years. Um, it was more just fun. We weren't trying to do anything crazy. We played a couple shows, which were actually pretty big shows um, that we, you know, I just kind of, convenient that I was working at Ruby Sky and working with K-Theory. And so we traveled with them a bit and played at Ruby Sky some, but it was just this really fun, uh, it was like house music, but with very kind of tribal uh, percussion and ethnic sounds and just cool chants and uh, just this cool twist on on um, on electronic music or house music that we we didn't really hear a lot of. So it was it was fun to experiment with that. Yeah, that's cool. And so you're you're doing Benza, but at that time, then had you developed um, your own artist brand yet? I know that your your first personal artist brand was Merck, right? M three R C, pronounced Merck. Yep, it was Merck. Um, and so yeah, I was I started that even before Pyramon because I was uh, I was working at the you were clubs. De- you were DJing under that name, right? Yeah, I was already DJing for a couple of years. Yeah, uh, right, my production right. my production wasn't great, but I was. I was DJing and I had the residencies and was working at EPR and Ruby Sky and would play some other uh, shows around San Francisco. And so when I came to Pyramind, that was kind of my focus was crafting that project and and uh, getting some releases out. So that that was definitely my first project and my big like solo project that I did for a couple of years, but eventually started experimenting with uh, some side projects and, and then eventually kind of sculpting... Uh, shadows which is what i am today so that's right so all right well let's talk a little bit about the transition from merc to shadows what what was the impetus to retire that moniker that you'd been developing for so long and and re-emerge under this new brand for yourself yeah um it merc went on for years um it was basically through all those dj residencies and all the local uh, SF shows and things I was playing. Um, so it was, you, it was, and you had some releases under Merck obviously as well, right? Yeah, I did. I probably, I mean, I had a decent amount of tracks out, maybe 15, 20 tracks. Uh-huh. Um, and if somebody listening wants to check those out, can they still find those tracks? 
Maybe. I think some of them, there's definitely some on YouTube. Um, my Spotify is still active. So the tracks that are, uh, you know, that I did a self releases or from labels or should be up on the Spotify. Uh, um, but those are under Merck M3RC, if anybody's listening, right? Yeah. You want to check it yep. out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did that for a couple of years and I was kind of going through the beginning stages of music production and um, just learning a lot. And so it, it was it was my baby for a while and it was it was I was very committed to it. But um, it was it was it was like during my growth stage. So uh, music, I was kind of trying out different things and I would make like house music and then more hip hop influenced uh, or like drum and bass, it was kind of all over the place. So more, uh, I, more, you were experimenting really. You were really finding what your sound was and where you wanted to to dive into, sure. and giving yourself the space to do that. And I think that's for me. That's so important for anybody listening. You know, to understand that you know you don't just snap your fingers and become what you <laughs> what you've become now. Um, yeah. you, you, there there has to be a phase where you give yourself the that space to experiment, right? Yeah, I think it's it's important because then you figure out like what you really like and what you want to focus on. Um, and what uh, one of the main things for me is I think going through the process of making hip hop and making electronic music and house music, like all these different genres is you can kind of when you figure out the sound you ultimately want to go after, you can kind of pull it influences from all those other genres and um, certain techniques that they would do in this genre. And you can apply that here and um you can kind of just mix together all of your favorites and everything that's inspired you. And I think that's a big part of uh, eventually finding like your sound, which is one of the most important things to, to shoot for. Right. So how did that evolve coming out of Merck when you've kind of started to dial into that and what was the impetus to shift it to shadows? Yeah. Um, so I again, got into all this because of house music, that was like the biggest thing was getting into like, tech house and there's a uh, a genre that was big about 10 years ago uh 10 years ago called fidget house very like wobbly kind of dubstep influence sounds very wonky stuff uh so i got into it with all of that and um through experimenting with merc i tried a bunch of different genres and then ultimately at the end i was like man i gotta gotta get back to being more consistent with with house music because that that was also mostly what i was playing at shows even though I'd experiment with dubstep and these other genres, most of the shows I was playing, I was playing mostly house music and electro house and tech house. And, um, that was, that was always kind of, uh, my roots. So, um, at the tail end of Merck, I was like, okay, I've, I've learned a lot over the years. Anything that I put out now is going to be significantly better and more professional sounding than, you know, the, the other stuff on my catalog. So I was kind of already thinking about a rebrand. And so I started experimenting with new sounds and a new style. And while I was doing that, um, I fortunately, I, uh, at that point I was playing a decent amount of shows at audio in San Francisco, um, which was kind of turned into a residency. It was never an official thing, but, uh, I, I got to know the, uh, the owners, um, Peter helped me a lot with bookings. And so I would just kind of reach out and ask about shows, or if I saw a lineup, a lineup come out, I would ask if, if they had room on it or needed openers. And so, uh, Jack beats was, has always been one of my, uh, favorite artists and biggest inspirations. And I saw that, uh, they were playing at audio. And so I was kind of had it in the back of my head, like, all right, Merck might be kind of, might be time to wind that down and, and focus on something new and clean and refined and professional. 
Uh, so I, I had all this house music, this new sound that I was kind of working on. And I had about four or five demos together. Um, and most of them are, were pretty much complete, but Peter did me a, a solid and got me on the lineup with Jack beats. And before the show, I, I got it about a month out. So I just hustled that month and I got, I think four or five demos together, put them on a flash drive. And then, uh, at the show, I talked to him, made the connection that I used to, uh, he used to come play EPR. He used to play Ruby sky and we made the connection that we kind of met a couple times and uh we had gone out to dinner when we had them play at epr i took them out to dinner before their show so i made that connection and then i was like by the way if you have a chance like i've been working on some stuff i think you'd like and i handed him the flash drive uh and then didn't hear anything for probably a week or two but uh, after about two weeks he emailed me um because I, I had a little text doc in there with my email my information if you wanted to reach out to me uh, along with the tracks and uh, he emailed me and asked if he could play two of the songs at EDC because um, he was going to Vegas to play EDC. Um, so that that was the big that was probably the one of the biggest turns uh, I've had in the in the past decade of of doing all this was uh, really kind of hustling on those tracks and and honing in on this new sound and um, giving them to uh, Benny from Jack Beats. He's the one that's that's really helped me out a lot. Uh, and then having him support the tracks and then having him send them to AC Slater, which is uh, another huge inspiration and help with all of this. Um, and, and that ultimately led to me uh, considering getting signed to Nightbase um, and just kind of talking about all of that with them. And then when that was more set in stone, then it was like, okay, this is a good time to kind of uh, wind down with Merc and and fire up something new and and take these tracks that they like and just start fresh because uh, Nightbase has always been one of my one of my dream record labels to be on. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty so. cool. So w when you you said something earlier that I, I want to kind of zone in on a little bit, you said uh, they were demos, right? You you kind of you handed him a track uh, a, a thumb drive with these four tracks on there. So when he came back at you and said, "Hey, I want to play these at EDC." Um, did he say, Hey, I want to remix them or I want to take them in the studio and do a, a remastering on them or anything like that? Or did he just take yeah, them as I is? Mean, they were, they were pretty much, um, they were pretty much complete. Mm -hmm. Um, I say demos because now looking back, if I listened to them, I would probably think that they still needed work. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny how that goes? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think maybe one of the tracks he asked me for, I was like, okay, like, yes, you can play it, but let me give you a, a new master. So I think I, I probably... There was some time before he was playing EDC, and I, I think I probably doctored up a few of the tracks to send him over and, and get the you know get him the best the best copy possible. Uh -huh. um, and did you go uh, to EDC to hear him play? So you could. Hear I didn't. You? I wanted to. It was about a week before, and I really wanted to go and hear him live, but it it just wasn't going to work out. Um, yeah, but since then, I've I've gotten to share stages with all those guys and uh see them play my music and go back to back and all this all this really cool stuff so it's i've uh missed out on that one but it's it's been worth it oh still. for sure for sure and so since you've launched shadows and i want to talk about the influence of night base on you know how they worked helped you with the branding of shadows but first talk about some of the other collabs that you've done because i know you've worked with other artists, like even creating an EP, from what I recall, uh, would blossom right on Nightbase. Yeah, so that's I, that's just the awesome thing about getting on 
um, one of these labels that where it's like, you know, the, the artists running it and the people doing A and R and everyone is just very, they just want the best music possible and they want to get really good artists together and want everyone to collaborate and throw shows together and do all this stuff together. It's, it's a really cool community. Um, and from knowing AC Slater for a couple of years and Jack beats and just knowing those guys, they're still to the day, some of the nicest guys I've ever met in the industry. Um, and so what's cool is getting on Nightbase. Um, I, I get on that roster now and there's other artists and, um, Blossom, she's an amazing producer. She's super talented. Um, her name's Emily and she's, she's just awesome. So she was, uh, I believe she got on a night base maybe about a year before I did uh, a couple months. Um, and so we were both kind of new to night base and I really like her style. She liked my style. And so we started talking, uh, about doing a collaboration and I sent her same thing. I sent her a couple demos. I was like, you know, if you're interested in any of these, let me know. She picked one. Uh, she worked on it. She killed it. She added vocals. She did a lot of really cool production stuff. Uh, you know, just adding drums and making some of the basses better. Just really uh, took it and and did some amazing stuff with it. And uh, that turned into probably our main track together, uh, which is called "Lot of Money." And um, then when we when we approached um, Night Bass with it. Uh, they mentioned like this idea of maybe doing kind of this collaborative back-to-back -back style e uh, EP. And so we did another collab together, uh, which is called Mental. And then uh, we each did a solo track. So it's a four track EP with two collabs uh, and then a solo track from her and a solo track from me. So talk a little bit about that collaboration process. What, what was that like working with her? Did you guys work together in the studio or was this sessions that, or stems that you guys would exchange? How, how did you go about doing it? Yeah, we, uh, I've, I've met, played a couple shows with her. Um, but we, um, we did everything remote. So we were just sending a session back and forth. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, I, I prefer to work in person, but it just, she lives in Arizona. I'm in California. So this was the easier way. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and given yeah. the set of circumstances now, it's kind of almost oh, a given. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you, you also did some other collabs along the way, and I know you did a collab with uh, a former Pyramine duo, uh, Blue Jay, right? Yep. Yep. So, um, and that uh, Blue Jay, that's Alex Blue and Jay Wilson, right? Yeah. So that was, uh, that was like right in between when I was, when I built out shadows and got all of that figured out and started to get some night base releases on the calendar. Um, there was a little bit of time and I was still of course working on music and had this collaboration that I started with, um, with Alex and Jay, uh, blue Jay. And so there was a couple months where I had announced shadows and this new project and there's a couple months until the first night base release. So we put out, uh, before then we put out our track or our collab together, uh, called faded. And, um, that was just like a little self-release free download just to get some, some hype going. Uh, so it's just available on SoundCloud, but did pretty well, um, past hundred thousand plays pretty quick, got some good traction. Um, but, but yeah, that was, that was technically kind of my first shadows, uh, track that we put out. Yeah, and who, how, how was the, I guess, who inspired the Kendrick Lamar samples in there? How did that happen? Yeah, so that was, uh, I believe Jay 
added those in um, because it was a similar situation to the collabs with Blossomware. I had a couple demos together, a couple work in progress tracks, sent them a playlist. They um, had a favorite, and so I gave them stems, and then they they took it from there. Um, so obviously, so, it's not a, uh, it never became an official release, right? It was not a clear, clear no, example. yeah. And, and we talked about trying to get like uh, get it cleared or get some kind of uh, cover license or something, but um, it's it's an old track now, so we kind of just. Um, let it let it live on soundcloud that's where it'll be and uh we're, we're happy with how it came out but yeah i remember jay adding that sample and sending it back and then of course once you do something like that you have to decide like okay are we gonna are we gonna stick with this and then kind of deal with the whole like trying to clear it or get some kind of license um or are we just you know maybe that's a placeholder and we get something original so we can release it however we want um but we it, it fit and what is cool about those songs, and I've done more of these since then that have been uh, done pretty well and been pretty successful, um, using a sample like that of just a hit song, uh, a lot of people are going to know it. So it's going to pull a lot more attention to it. And a lot of DJs are always looking for remixes of big time hip hop songs or you know club mixes. Um, so we ended up just deciding to, to run with that vocal and it. I'm glad we did because it, it fits the track really well and it, it works out well. Yeah, that's really cool. So talk a little bit now about getting signed to Nightbase and you know what the influence of being with Nightbase has done to the development of Shadows. Yeah, so I uh Nightbase was one of my top labels. I remember um my manager, Matt Whitlock, we've been uh, working together for a couple of years now. And he's, he's been with me through, through all of the transitions and, and all of this, uh, we had a meeting one day and we were thinking about the rebrand, uh, and just starting this new project. And I made a list of like my top five labels I want to go for, uh, and Nightbase was, was at the top. And so getting on was just the most exciting thing that, that could have happened. Uh, it's just, love the label, love everyone on it. And it's the, in terms of sound, it's exactly where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, they, they helped, um, you know, once I got the, those, a couple of those beginning tracks in Jack beats hands and AC Slater started listening to them and he started playing them out. Um, you know, AC is the owner of the label and, and Jack beats is one of the, uh, you know, most kind of OG, uh, artists that's been there from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, once they, I kind of got their approval and they wanted to sign a couple of things. I, uh, we kind of both agreed on like, let's, let's start fresh with this and, uh, build a new brand and build a new project. So that was the big turning point. Um, and I was, I was fortunate to have them kind of take me under their wing and help me and give me suggestions and, uh, help me get it off the ground, which was huge for me. Now, can you just talk a little bit about what a deal like that looks like in terms of um, commitment to not just putting out recordings, but also doing shows um, yeah. under the night base label moniker, right? Yeah. What's what's awesome about this um, is that they're not really looking to do anything exclusive. Um and so it's basically all the releases are just kind of, you know, one off per release as they come, mm -hmm. as we agree, as you know, they like something and they want to sign it. We put it on the calendar and that's that. But I'm uh, in terms of playing shows and, and working with other labels, I'm, I'm pretty much open to do whatever I want. And uh, 
uh, that's one of the best things about kind of working with these guys is, um, you know, there's, there's no, like, um, they're not trying to really lock anyone in. Um, so, so I've played a couple of night based shows, but I've played other shows and now I'm working with other labels. I'm working with wax Motif's label divided souls and a couple of other things that I've done over the years. And, and that's never really been, uh, an issue. So it's, it's nice to have that freedom. And what are you doing with uh, Wax Motifs label? Talk about that. Divided Souls. That's pretty cool. Yeah, too. that's that's another exciting one. Yeah. Um, for for me to have, kind of as my my two uh, like home bases, um, having having that be Night Base and Divided Souls um, is is awesome because Wax Motif is another huge inspiration for me, um, and it was. I think he probably just started to see my name through Nightbase, and so we talked a little bit uh, here and there, just kind of um, you know randomly. And then he started playing out some of my music as well. There's a uh, Diplo remix that I did a while ago that uh, did really well and, and got me some good some good traction, and that's gotten a lot of support from him and other artists. So and that was a bass uh, that- house mix as well, the Diplo one. Yeah, it was like this, yeah, bass house kind of um, flip or remix of his song uh, On My Mind with Side Piece, which came out and I knew immediately it's going to be just a hit. So I remixed it and I and I had my remix up and out for free download within exactly one week of theirs coming out. Oh, wow. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so, so I, I cranked it out and uh, I wanted to get it up first because I just knew the song was going to be a hit and it, it did really well. I think it's grammy nominated um and and so i just got it up there so anyone searching for a remix would see mine first and it i think it just hit uh two hundred thousand plays on soundcloud and it's it just oh yeah was and, random and if so, you're listening uh, to that take note right that's a great marketing strategy right there right? yeah in terms yeah. of aligning yourself with a brand like diplo right for and sure. getting people to hear that and you know your flip on it awesome yeah i've done a couple of those since it's, it's become this cool thing of just like shadows flips and you know remixes and flips and edits and all that of course have been have been present for a while but uh, every now and then if i have a break between like main single releases or eps i'll just put out these free downloads and it's it's nice because you know you can just take a, a very well known popular song and and do a cool flip or edit to it and uh that just you know a lot of it it appeals to a lot of big dj's like wax motif which is you know kind of what i was um what I was saying about him supporting the track and Valentino Khan and Alice in Wonderland, all these people started playing out that track because the original is already hit, but playing those uh, at shows, having a remix of something that everyone knows that just like hits everyone by surprise is that's the secret weapon that a lot of artists are looking to kind of play out at these shows and festivals. So um, that one built up a lot of, a lot of momentum and hype for me. And so when wax motif started playing it, um, he asked me about, if I had any demos, uh, he could check out and actually went for a while sending him demos. And he, he was like, Oh, these are cool, but I think you can do better. And he, he pushed me, which I like, oh, uh, it's cool. hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard to hear that in the beginning when you, you know, you're, you're finally talking to one of your like idols and your, uh, he shows interest and you're sending him music and he's, he's turning them down and it, it happened for a couple months, but I'm glad he did. Uh, same, same way with like, you know, the way, um, AC Slater or Jack Beats and these guys have kind of offered feedback to me and, and helped kind of push me. Uh, it's it's very important if you're trying to get to a high level to to keep the bar high for yourself. And so him kind of pushing me and and working with me and and ultimately now signing 
a couple of different records. We have three different records that I'm I'm doing pre-masters and masters on right now uh, for the label. And so it's like everything else just kind of started slow, but uh, I just tried to, you know, just show up and be consistent and it's, it's been paying off. So yeah, those are kind of my, my, my homes right now is night base and divided souls, which has been awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, I love that. That's so cool. And I think it show it's a testament to your, you know, your, your diligence and, you know, being consistent too, uh, you know, with these releases and then clever marketing strategies, like doing these flips, you know, and, and giving people something that they can really sink their teeth into and, and makes them look good too. Right. They come up with For something sure. that totally like makes people go, what I've heard that song, but what I haven't heard it that way. Right. And yeah. that's kind of a cool response to get. And now that's also led you to doing some bigger shows, Right. And I know recently you've done something really cool with Insomniac, right? Yeah. Uh, considering um, you can't, you, you know, the, the <laughs> traditional shows have been kind of nixed. Uh, so what, what is, tell us what you've been up to with these shows. Yeah. So um, obviously it's just, uh, it's been a weird year to say the least. Um, and it <laughs> yeah. doesn't really look like it's slowing down anytime soon, but uh, it's, it's what has happened. So we've had to adapt. Uh, I did, a couple live streams in the beginning. I did a really cool live stream with Nightbase to kick off their their live stream series that they've been doing uh, every other month or so. Um, and I actually I did one from Halcyon, which is next door to Audio. Um, my my good friend Sean uh, works there, and he basically let me go in uh, solo. And they ran the club. They ran lights lasers everything and i just played in there and we had a camera and we live streamed it to twitch through nightbase's channel that's um, cool that's super yeah cool. that, that was really fun it, it was it was you know i miss having a crowd but it was just great to be in a club and test out tracks and and even though i'm there you know with just one or two people uh having the full club running was was really cool so yeah, yeah and I, i'm gonna put a shout out to uh headroom uh the crew from headroom sf that does the listening sessions there at halcyon too yeah. Uh, which we were doing quite a bit of before, um, obviously before they had to shut down the rooms, but, uh, hopefully we'll be back there with those guys. Yeah, soon. It's, a, it, it's a really cool venue. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. With yeah. the Dolby sound, with the Dolby Atmos system in there too. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, that, pretty cool. That and audio, uh, are, are some of the top clubs and have great sound and they're right next to each other. It's, it's a cool space. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So th those are some of the live streams you'd been doing, but now you've been doing some other stuff too, right? Yeah. So that the, uh, the insomniac show, uh, was actually like hosted, uh, it's an insomniac show, but it was hosted by wax motif. It was essentially his show. Um, and just with, you know, in the past six months, uh, of getting on his label and working with him more and setting up more releases and, and really kind of, um, developing with him and, and, and becoming a bigger piece of the label. Um, he works with insomniac. He plays, you know, uh, all, all the big festivals and shows and is really kind of tied in with those groups. So, uh, when he got this, the offer to play at the NOS event center in San Bernardino, which is where insomniac has a lot of the really big festivals, like beyond wonderland and all those, um, he, uh, was of course headlining. He booked, uh, Jack Beats for support, uh, Lucati, and then me. Um, so it was us four, and it was it's it's basically it's called Park and Rave, which is kind of this um, event series that Insomniac is now doing. I think they're 
they're doing them almost every weekend or every other weekend now, but um, it's at the NOS Event Center, this huge complex. They set up basically a festival size, just big stage with sound and everything. And then in terms of tickets and uh, bringing people in, they sell car spots or parking spots. So they have about, I think it went about 19 rows of cars back. I, I could almost barely even see the back. It was it was the biggest stage I ever played in, in my life. It was, it was wild. Um, but there's about 19 rows of cars or somewhere in that range. Um, and every group pays for a car. It's like, it gives you like five tickets or four tickets. Um, and then you're in your sections and um, everyone has a, a place to park their car. And then they have this really cool kind of sectioned off like 15 by 15 foot area where they can set up chairs or table and just, you know, relax and have fun, uh, but not be too close to, to other groups. So it's, it's just a really cool, responsible and just fun way uh, of, of kind of getting back to where we were. So, mm, so um, basically that, you stay with amazing. your, you stay with your car pod, uh, but you can get out of the car, right? You don't have to stay in your car. Yeah. You can get out of the car. Um, and then you just, every, every group has their own little, uh, separate area. So it's a, it's a really cool setup. I think a lot of people are honestly starting to prefer it because you can just have your space. You're not smushed into some crowd. Um, mm. Obviously it's, it's just different overall, but, yeah. um, it was cool. And so that, that was really fun. Uh, and it was also being live streamed insomnia because it has like a huge presence on Twitch and YouTube and I mean, everywhere really, but, uh, yeah, they were, so they were live streaming that during all of our sets, uh, to Twitch and YouTube. And there was, I think when I got off stage and finished my set, there was 16,000 or 18,000 watching on Twitch. Wow. Um, that's awesome. And then with, with YouTube combined, it was about 30,000. It was just crazy to be on, you know, not go from not playing a show for about a year to the biggest show of my life on the biggest stage I've ever played with, you know. 2000 people worth of cars out there and 30,000 people watching live. It was, it was crazy. Uh, and a big goal, like insomniac, you know, that's, that's, they throw all the biggest festivals. It's, it's, uh, it's been a goal of mine. Yeah. Well, if anybody has the resources to pull that off and, you know, to do it at a high production value, it's certainly them for sure. And I've tuned into some of those streams. I, I do, I really respect and appreciate the production value and the effort those guys put into making those things pretty top notch. Yeah. They're just, they're very creative. Um, and in, in terms of, you know, um, producing an events and, and promoting their, I feel like they're always kind of trying new things and, uh, you know, on the, on the foregrounds of, of cool new techniques and cool new ideas and shows and they, they really do it well. Yeah. So do you, are, are you, uh, expecting or hoping maybe to do more of that? I'm oh, guessing? I'd love, yeah, of course mm-hmm. I'd love to. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's a little tough, um, just because shows are so limited right now. And this is such a really cool thing to do. And there's so many artists that, you know, a lot of artists are trying to get involved with this. So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I had a great time. I, I got to meet a lot of really cool people and work with the insomniac staff, which was awesome. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, it's something I'll have to kind of wait for my turn again, just because there's so many people that are really eager to play it. So we'll see. Right. I'm right. Always, always open to playing, of course. Well, uh, now speaking of Twitch, um, I know some, some else you did that was pretty cool lately was uh, a production battle that you did yeah. with Ma- Wax Motif and Chris Lorenzo on Twitch, right? Yeah. So how uh, did that come wha- about? 
Wax Motif has this really cool community that he's built on Twitch. I mean, a lot of artists are kind of adapting and trying new things and doing live streams. And Wax Motif uh, did has done a really good job of transitioning to Twitch and having production like demo listening streams where he's listening to demos that could possibly uh, be released on his label. And he has a production battle called Baseline Boss that he does on Wednesdays. Um, he, he does some gaming. He does a lot of different things on Twitch. And so um, when he announced the Baseline Boss idea, it's this really cool concept where, you know, uh, he doesn't do it every Wednesday. I think he's kind of focusing on his album stuff right now. But um, Wednesday, 11 o'clock in the morning, you log on to his Twitch. He's firing things up. He gives out a Dropbox link with 10 samples in them uh, or in the link. And you have three hours to make a minute long song and you have to use all the samples. Um, so it's just a really cool way to test yourself. And, you know, I, I've been producing for a while and a lot of people... Um, that do them are kind of learning and they want feedback from wax, but it's, I, I will always enjoy doing things like that because it's like, you're just testing yourself and you're exercising different areas and you're, you're really putting your workflow to the test. And, uh, it's, it's cool. And no matter, you know, um, how deep I get into this stuff, I I'll always just like nerding out and challenging myself and doing stuff like that. So, uh, I've done a couple of them. Um, there's usually about 40, 50 submissions and there's some amazing stuff. Um, and I think I got like second place a couple times and then he started getting some guest judges on and uh, I did them here and there. And then when he announced that Chris Lorenzo was going to be a guest judge, uh, I jumped on it immediately because Chris Lorenzo is is top tier for me. He's uh, he he makes just some of his music is, is just some of my my favorite stuff. Uh, he's super diverse, super talented producer and um, just all around uh awesome artists so he was a guest judge and so that day I, I made sure to show up with my a game and uh i got the samples worked for three hours um and and ended up winning it um and so that that track is now uh we just got the master back that's going to be released pretty soon on his label that kind of got me in with chris lorenzo i started talking to him a little bit um, so that, that was exciting. I was, if I was going to win any of those battles, that's the one I wanted to win because Lorenzo is, is, uh, one of my favorites. That's awesome. What, yeah. what a great way to, you know, continue these, these, you know, continue building on these relationships that you've been managing. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think, I think wax, uh, I think wax motif really, um, kind of admired that as well, because I was already kind of working with him. We had some stuff uh, in talks about getting on the label and working together. But, uh, even though I already had some of that kind of solidified, he was, I think he was probably happy to see that I was still eager to like really show my stuff. Um, and that's cool. It's a cool competition because he doesn't vote. It's all of the, the, the Twitch crowd that votes. So it's, there's no way for it to be rigged or anything like that. It's, it's a really cool setup. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Now you've got a recent release that you've put out here on divided souls. Um, I know we're, we're looking at, uh, a screen of that release right now. We're going to, you're going to share a little bit of this track with us. It's called Vixen, right? It is. Yes. So, uh, this is, was my first release on divided souls. I have a couple more coming up, but yeah, this is my, my last release. I've just, since then kind of just been in the lab cooking things up and getting ready for the next ones. But yeah, this, uh, 
this was my my last release on Divided Souls. And this is part of a an EP that you put out, one track of many, right? Of a handful. This is just this is just a single. It was a single. Um, okay. Yeah, we we have a couple more coming up. Those will probably be singles as well. I think we'll probably maybe do an EP eventually, but um, most of the stuff that he's been releasing on his label uh, has just been one-off singles here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. uh, why don't you dive into this track for us a little bit? Let's check it out. See see a little bit of how Shadows works and thinks uh, behind the behind the curtain, as it were. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what's really funny is this song actually started as one of the, the baseline boss submissions. Um, oh, no kidding. So it, it ended up, I think I got a second that week or something. I didn't end up winning. But so some of the samples in here are from his packs. Um, some of them I, I pulled out because when you're doing that competition, you have to use all samples, whether you like them or not. So there's a couple things I, I didn't, I wasn't too excited about. So I took those out. So there's a couple little samples we'll see in here. He had this like AC Slater little bass one shot and um, I think some of these plucks and random things here and there. But that's it's just cool that it kind of started in that sense. Um, and then he showed interest in it. And then I ended up kind of reworking it and building out the full track because those competitions are only a minute long clip. So I had to finish the arrangement and really dial it in. Uh, and that turned into my, my first Divided Souls release. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it, it got started. Um, in terms of layout, uh, most of my sessions are going to look pretty consistent um, in terms of groups and how I like to organize things with just percussion and synths. And sometimes I'll have like a separate bass group or subgroup um, vocals, effects. So you can see all that kind of collapsed and shrunk down here. Uh, and then when you start to dive in, you can see, you know, just a, a combination of audio and MIDI. I like doing a lot of my percussion and audio uh, with one shots and resampling and consolidating and all that good stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're seeing here. So cool. Can you, um, before we go any deeper, can you play some of the original samples that were the inspiration behind the track or at least the ones that you kept in here? Yeah. So there's a couple of them. They're pretty subtle, uh, in the way that I'm using them. Um, actually, I'll actually play this one first because this is one of the, one of the main parts, um, was this, uh, simple pluck and, I could have dropped it in a sampler and played it with MIDI, but I, uh, I, I kept the, the melody here very, very simple. So it's, it's actually just in audio, uh, and I'm just pitching the audio around and, and applying some effects. So, uh, that's this first one. So really simple melody. That's actually kind of the progression that goes through most of the track, even when it switches to the very heavy, um, bass house style uh synths that i use later it's all it's all kind of built around that progression so that pluck um which was just a short kind of reverbed out piece that i just kind of rearranged and uh built a simple melody with uh this ac slater you you built the melody by repitching the same sample right yeah it's all the same sample it's all this uh longer kind of reverb hit and i just basically cut out the beginning and uh just found kind of a simple cool rhythm and then i pitched the notes around to do mm-hmm. just a really simple melody yeah um another sample in there was uh actually from an ac slater pack it was this bass one shot so i just did a it was pretty clean so i did a little bit of overdrive did a little bit of spreading because this is doesn't need to have a ton of sub so this kind of mid and high layer can be a little bit wider uh and then just cut some of the lows but 
Um, that was another one of the samples. I think apart from that, there's this really nice kind of like tech house or deep house style um, looping, like ambient vocal. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you've got that pretty heavily band pass too. So it starts to open up. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it basically starts like in the break. It starts to open up a little bit. Yeah, it's in a different section. Okay, so it, there it is. It's yeah, very subtle. Uh-huh. But right. I yeah, see. it's 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 kind of just being used as like a drone vocal pad layer in the background. So um, a little bit of spreading, super light compression, uh, and then I'm just cutting a lot of lows and highs out and and band passing it to this like mid high frequency. So that nice little ambient vocal loop. Um, I think there might have been some effects that they gave us, like a a sweep. Um, so just little things here and there, a lot of like the percussion, uh, I built on my own and, um, all the bases I used a lot of serum and, um, those are all here and those are, those are all probably resampled, uh, or frozen at this point since, since this is the final session, but all this stuff, uh, is just, uh, cool little FM base house patches in serum that I've now resampled. Hmm. Cool. So um, talk about resampling um, for those who might not know what you're talking about there. So resampling um, is basically just the process of, you know, you can start out with audio or MIDI, but it's the process of just kind of recording uh, your work and any any processing, anything you've done to a track. It's the process of uh, recording that or, um, you know, converting that back to audio. So if it were... You know, like uh, we could see a quick example here because some of these tracks are frozen. Um, I have a base, a, a re-space to be specific in the breakdown, uh, which started as MIDI. Um, it's a really simple line. It's just basically holding the root note and doing some octave uh, pitch jumps here and there. But uh, it's in MIDI. It's currently frozen, which locks the uh, all the, the plugins and everything, all the processing in place. But if you go one more step and you do flatten, it takes all of that signal all the processing and it converts that to audio um so whether you do it with freezing and flattening or you set up some kind of resampling track um it's it's really nice for just getting more control over instruments i think that's the main thing for me is you know when when you see things in midi you're not actually seeing the transients or seeing the waveform so if it has a really long release or it has a delay or has a reverb built into it you can hear that but you can't see it and and edit that and and, and control that as much as you might need to. So uh, with a lot of these, I'm doing pretty dramatic call and response between some of these main layers, between the synths and uh, little vocals coming in. You can actually kind of visualize how these all just alternate back and forth. So it's a very clean kind of precise uh, call and response between the vocals and the synths and maybe some percussion um, and, and converting that to audio and just allowing yourself to make quick edits to shorten something to make space for something else. Um, resampling is really important for that. And also just, you know, you can take a MIDI instrument, you can resample it to audio, and then you can go and you can start messing with, with warping and just tying on kind of more effects and just keep uh, chipping away at a sound until you really get something unique. Um, so resampling is a pretty big part of my workflow. 
Yeah, great process for, like you said, you know, sound design effectively, kind of dialing the sound in and then also having a nice visual on it, which MIDI's good. You can see the on and the off, but you don't see the dynamics of it, right? You don't see the waveform. You can't, um, having the waveform can really help a lot, obviously. For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, especially with this style of music, I, if I just, uh, if I play, I can even just solo these groups. So everything has its own space. Of course, the sub is pretty consistent. That's kind of giving off this nice, consistent, like rolling groove in the low end. But everything on top of that is very particular in the way that it's placed and kind of this hits and then it goes to this vocal and then back to this synth. It's it's like a puzzle, basically. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a conversation. That's what I like to refer exactly. to it as. It's a really nice conversation where every, everything fits. It has its place. So it's a combination of that conversation and the, the puzzle, you know, working together. So let, can we hear that uh, hear that conversation again and see how that works with uh, your drum programming in here? Because I know that's, yeah, that's my, a big part of this. My drum programming is, is doing, uh, basically just complementing that. I mean, most house tracks are going to have a pretty simple four on the floor pattern and a you know, clap on the, the two and the four. Um, but I have a little bit like some little shakers here to just kind of pick things up and add a little bit of like swing or groove to it. Um, some fill snares and, and all that good stuff. So uh, I can play it from here and uh, we can see some of that working together. Yeah, so very uh, lots of precision with when sounds hit and when they don't. But what's nice is you can you can build some of that up with uh, even just basic percussion and build on top of that with the synths and the vocals, kind of like I'm doing here. And then really just add in uh, like little accessories to kind of make that call and response or make that overall groove a little bit more dramatic. So um, I think I did a lot of the building around pretty basic drums. And then when it comes time to fill in any empty space or make fills or transitions more dramatic. That's where I like to uh, kind of sprinkle in some more percussion or some sweeps um, to, to bring some of that stuff to life and add some more energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I'm seeing on uh, your synths, you got a lot of serum going on in there. And are you flattening those? Are those getting converted to audio? You're resampling that? Or are you keeping serum active in there? Yeah, so, so those, these are all mm -hmm. these are all frozen and flattened mm -hmm. to audio, mm -hmm. um, just because this is a, a, a final version of the track. And usually, when I'm at that final stage, uh, I make a decision if if I want to export everything as individual tracks and do a, a proper stem mix on it, um, or if things are already sounding pretty good and and the song has been flowing and it's not forced or anything like that, uh, I will just freeze and flatten in the session the things that need to be freeze and flattened, and I'll just. I'll finish it in here because uh, to be completely honest, this this track has been written and arranged in this session. It was it was mixed and I even did the final master in here. Um, ah. So that, that, that doesn't always happen. Uh -huh. uh, sometimes sometimes you have sessions where there's a lot going on and you need to clear your head and you need to just export stems and get into a fresh mixing and mastering session. Um, but I, I, I found that uh, a lot of times when I was forcing myself to do that on every song, 
I would I would just give myself more work than I really needed to. So this is one of the tracks that just it flowed uh, and it, it came out quick and it felt good and and it started to uh, it it sounded good and it was it was easy to make sound good because you know if, if things are well arranged and they they work well harmonically and they're they're layered well the mixing and mastering should be pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, and that speaks so. a lot to workflow, right? And yeah. having a workflow that isn't overly complex so that you can create more than work more is kind of the way yep. I see it. And, sure. and how, um, how you manage that. So it looks to me like, so you've got the mastering chain built right under your master here, right? So you were yeah. able to ma mix and master this in the same session, huh? Yep. And I know yeah. because for, you know, early stage development, we consider this to be, um, definitely not something, uh, a novice should be doing, um, yeah. And obviously it takes a really strong sensibility to really know your mixes and manage the mastering chain well in that mix. Can you speak a little bit to your mastering chain? Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing here. Yeah. So I, uh, I've been, been getting deep into mixing and mastering for the past couple of years, um, as just kind of being a, a mixing and mastering engineer for other people and helping them on their projects and doing it on my own stuff. And so I've been getting more and more comfortable and, and this stuff is so technical and so detailed and it takes a, a good ear and a extremely thorough understanding about exactly how all these plugins and multiband compression and stereo imaging and mid-side EQing and all this stuff works uh, to really get it to get it down. But at this point, I'm feeling uh, I feel really good about it. And a lot of my final tracks that get released are my own masters. Um, and so I I try to make sure um, that, like I was saying, while I'm doing the arranging and I'm finding layers that work well together and a kick and a sub or a kick and a bass that work well together, if you do all that properly and they're not clashing or they're not out of key or they're not really fighting for space in the mix, the mix and master should be, should be pretty straightforward. So, uh, this isn't doing anything crazy, um, utility running bass mono to keep all the sub frequencies mono is always a good idea yeah i see um, you got case. everything below 120 hertz pretty much is yeah. is, is monoed here right yeah mm -hmm. um just to keep that sub and kick nice and clean and dry and powerful in the mono uh down the middle being mono uh and then just a um i actually have this 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 is was collapsed but this atmospheric rack um i think this actually came this was like a bass clef rack that i edited a little bit um, but that's on the master and that's, that is, uh, it's got a macro hooked up that is pulling out low end, adding reverb, adding delay. It's, it's just kind of a washout or atmospheric effect. So that's coming up a little bit in the breaks to start to just thin everything out, make everything really distant and washed out. And then when the drop hits, everything pulls back in. Yeah. Um, so that's just automating on the master and then some simple EQs. This is a mid side EQ, um, not really doing much to the mids besides a little high boost as well as on the sides. But the most important thing here is the, the side cut. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't, you don't really, you know, um, want sub information or low frequencies out spread out on the sides. Um, pretty standard though. Not, not a ton of cuts or boosts. It's all pretty, pretty vague because I feel like the mix, um, made it easy mm -hmm. so, yeah but you're definitely I, giving it some air on the top there i mean that's a nice hump up on the top there for sure yeah and i uh i generally use this stuff as like you know if if i go to master track and i really if i find myself trying to 
do a lot of boosts and do a lot of cuts and compress and expand, like do all this stuff to just get it right, then you probably got to go back into the mix and do more work there. Um, so I, I use that kind of as like a rule of thumb. Generally, my, my mastering chains are pretty simple. So the EQ, mainly just boosting on the highs and the, the subcut on the sides. Little yeah, bit of saturation. With, with the emphasis on being at mid-side, right? So you, you can control For the sure, stereo to get that image dual versus control. mono center. Yeah. Yeah. Um, little bit of saturation, nothing crazy. This is Camel Crusher. Pretty old plugin, but uh, I like it. And it's just on a tube warmth preset. And I think I just dialed back the compression and uh, made sure that it wasn't, wasn't oversaturating or adding distortion uh just a little bit of power and a little bit of uh warmth and like weight to it um compression i i always use multiband i've tried a lot of aftermarket or uh, vst versions and more advanced uh or just you know out of the box basically uh multiband compressors i always go back to the ableton one i love this compressor um, so this is basically just doing compression on the highs, mids, and lows separately. Uh, and then it's also, uh, pulling out some of the background noise of the highs, any, any of the more quiet kind of weak reverbs or anything that's a little bit more, uh, subtle in the top end in the background. This is pulling that out to, to clean up some, some space. Up yeah. It's there. so nice. Cause this provides a combination of upward and downward compression. And that's what yeah. you're showing here, that upward compression on the highs, right? Yeah, you just get uh, you just get so much control compared to just using you know a, a single compressor. Um, yeah, and then after that, it's just basically boosting and limiting. Um, I don't always do this, but right here I have two limiters. The first one is just to catch any any big random spikes, so it's actually it's not getting hit that hard. Um, maybe a couple dB here and there, maybe you know two, three, four dB on like big fills or big energy sections. Uh, and that just makes it so that my final final limiter uh, has a, a little bit more of like a consistent kind of clean signal to deal with. So not the most traditional way to do things, but I've I've been finding that 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 helps me get a little bit more control and and get to that loudness point that I that I need to be at because, um, you know, the the loudness war and the standard of loudness is a very real thing. So I like to be on the edge. I, I like to make sure my tracks are loud enough to stand up to other tracks and they don't, you know, pro tracks don't blow my stuff out of the water. Uh, but I also want to, you know, not compromise uh, my dynamics or quality too much. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. I think, I mean, yeah. the loudness wars, that's a whole other conversation. And quite frankly, <laughs> we've, we've, we've really run out of time here. And this has been an awesome uh, session with you. I've really enjoyed talking with you about your career, about your, you know, the the twists and turns that it's taken. And, and I'm so excited for you. I think it's been great to see the evolution of Sean Mercado from Merc to Shadows. And, and I, I, I just, I'm confident it's only uphill from here for you. And, um, uh, really psyched to have you back on our mentorship network and um, teaching some of our online programs now too. Because uh, yeah. you Excited you were let's see you were teaching our evening uh, producing with Ableton Live class for a handful of years. Um, then you moved to LA. Yeah, kind of had to tap out for a minute. Um, and of course, like everybody, this the crazy year has had its impact on everybody and, and, and in, in a kind of twisted fate sort of way, we're psyched to have you back, you know? And yeah, that's good. It, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I remember even talking to you when I was making the move, like, is there any way I can kind of keep, keep this going? Because that 
that Ableton Night program I was teaching, it was it was really cool to watch it grow because I I really helped kind of build it out and you guys helped me and we really got that off the ground together and ended up doing it for a couple of years and I had just I mean dozens, maybe probably more than that uh, of students over the years and oh yeah, definitely more than point. that and yeah, not only but, that, Sean, uh, the feedback was always great. We yeah, never had any any negative comments about your approach and and how you ran the class. So that was really just awesome to see and so encouraging. And um, you know, like I said, it's just a testament to who you are and and your persistence and and your clarity of mind and vision for your own career and and you know how you're developing. So it's awesome, awesome, awesome. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Well, been, thank you. Yeah, man, it's been great talking with you. Um, I think we're going to close out with your track so people can hear it a little bit more. Um, and uh, thanks again for joining me here on the mentor my mix podcast of course thank you for having me all right take care sean take care remember if you have a guest suggestion or want to contact me for any reason we have a contact form on the mentor my mix website that's mentormymix.com or feel free to email me at greg at mentormymix.com Special thanks to Quinn Grodzins for the theme music and audio editing, Josh Valdez and Sean McKenna for audio and video production, and Corey Schubert for video editing and post-production.